There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on June the 23rd, 2009. Newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website on the front page. You'll see all the other sites I have and newcomers should pick their favorite one and that spreads the bandwidth across all these different servers. It gives them less opportunity to come back at me and complain. But also in the future too, uh, some of these sites will probably get dropped once more by the servers and uh, it's good to have a list of them for future use. You can get me always at cuttingthrough.jenkness.com cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca you also get Alan Watt cutting through the matrix.ca and Alan Watt sent in sentinel.eu. That's a European one. And on the European one, you can also, as well as getting the audios, you can get the transcripts of these talks, which are written up in the various languages of Europe. And remember, and everyone skips this part because they know it comes, you bring me to you. You, the listeners, bring me to you. I don't ask for for money from the stations or the advertisers if I did I'd have to go along with certain protocols and uh, this gives me a free hand to talk about other things so it's up to you the listeners to keep me going by donating and you'll find it how at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website or you can you can also uh, buy the books I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com you'll find out how to do it all on that site and in all the sites, in fact. And remember, personal check is fine within the U.S. and Canada. PayPal is fine. Western Union is fine from from abroad. And even MoneyGram is accepted here now in Canada, so that's okay too. We are going into a world which is vastly changing into really the design goal of an old plan. An old plan set up and published in the, the, the writings of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It was also written about in the 1800s, as far back as that, in London, England, when Cecil Rhodes started up his own organization. Actually, it wasn't his own. He was in it with Lord Rothschild, and they set up what eventually became known as the Rhodes Foundation that joined with the Milner Foundation. The Milner Foundation were all bankers that ran uh, really the establishment of London. And the two joined together and became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's a private organization. Sounds very officious and very official, but it's a, a private organization. But it does speak on behalf of the parallel government that I've talked about often. So is Professor Carl Quigley and so did Margaret Thatcher when she admitted being a member of this parallel government. They uh, talked about bringing in a world society, a post-industrial society too, 
but definitely a, a, a new kind of society, a society where people would be trained from birth to serve the system, a world of service. And as I say, that's been that's all through their writings, this coming world of service. And lo and behold, we have watched this uh, compulsory volunteerism being pushed not only in Britain, but in the United States, and apparently there's one taking off in Canada as well. It's an organized event across the world, it's even in South Africa, in fact. All coming out at the same time to bring in this new century of changes. This is the 21st century, the century of changes, as every person in academia, certainly in the higher levels, have known for the last 50 years. Now it's here, and we have to go through these changes, transforming society into the new society. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix discussing uh, the big changes for this 21st century remember we have to go through agenda 21 throughout this century and that means getting people out of the urban areas as well as the rural areas and concentrated into the big cities while they basically demolish all the old uh, rural areas and at least the houses and farms and also the the external uh, uh, suburbs basically of the cities the city no longer need them because we're living in a time when manufacturing is gone and people have often wondered how they would replace this the system where you work for yourself at least you thought you did in reality we all work for government as people at the top of the feds have told me themselves everyone works for government and the idea, of course, was that we did work for ourselves. That was the idea, the con behind it. And we were left to have enough to play with, and that kept us all pretty well happy. But the system the Council on Foreign Relations, or the Royal Institute for International Affairs, dreams up is one where we'll serve the world system. And this is supposed to be instructed to children from as early as kindergarten onwards. It's no accident that uh, we've had this pre-planned crash with the banks. Everybody knew it would happen. Even Alan Greenspan talked about that years ago. It would happen, he said. And they, they encouraged the bubbles to keep going. That's all the stock market was run on, was bubbles and enthusiasm and a lot of chronology. So they pulled it because it suits them to pull it at this time. And when you watch the last of the big manufacturers, especially the, the car plants, move over to China, and don't forget they were already setting up in China before this happened, and they were already setting up in, in Russia too with factory plants to turn out cars over there. So it's no surprise to the ones at the top. It never is a surprise. The ones at the top are always in on, on the agenda. But what replaces all of this is to be a world where you don't work for your own income basically it's be a world where you'll eventually eventually be dished out credits from government and if you look at how government has gone in hand in hand in hand with the banks after this crash and how they've gone into even the housing industry the government's private 
public corporation idea uh, is behind this kind of stuff, you find that we're really going into the Soviet system. Remember, when Gorbachev talked about uh, the end of the Soviet system to the Politburo, and it was published in newspapers across the world at the time, he said, don't believe that communism is dead. We're moving into the next phase of it. You couple that with the Rees Commission from the 1950s, where the big foundations were funding all the left-wing NGOs, the big ones that everyone thought were communist, in fact. But their job was to blend the Soviet system with that of capitalism, and in between you'd have a third way. A third way. And this is the third way. It's the emergence or, or the merging together of capitalism and uh, basically as antithesis a commutarian or communist type collectivist society that's what they meant by the system they bring in for the century of change that's what they're talking about now here's a letter that's been sent around to a lot of American citizens from the White House recently and it says here dear friend last week I announced a United We Serve a nationwide call to service challenging you and all Americans to volunteer this summer and be part of building a new foundation a new foundation for America that means the old foundation is gone you say in Masonic parlance this is from Obama it says and when I say all I mean everyone young and old from every background all across the country we need individuals community organizations corporations foundations and our government to be part of this effort today for the official kickoff of United We Serve members of my administration have fanned out across America to participate in service events and encourage all Americans to join them the first lady is rolling up her sleeves and getting to work too uh, really but before she headed out today she asked me to share this message with you then they have a message from the first lady it's a little video our nation faces some of the greatest challenges it has had in generations and we know it's going to take a lot of hard work to get us back on track but we're not going back you see well Michelle and I are calling on every American to participate in United We Serve the call to service doesn't end this fall. We need to stay involved in our towns and communities for a long time to come. After all, America's new foundation will be built one neighborhood at a time, and that starts with you. That's from Mr. Obama, apparently. And you think about it. Is this what you thought was coming in, where you're going to be brought to a world of servitude? servitude. Remember what Professor Carl Quigley said, the, the system we're bringing in and he was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, the official historian for them and his book Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment he said the new system will be run by, on, on a feudal basis, like a feudal society now in feudal times, remember, they had serfs the majority of the public were serfs, which was servants, you're actually a slave, because you were bought and sold with the land that's what they're bringing in but he said that the new CEOs of this feudal system will be the new feudal overlords and that's what we have here already a world of service you see so it comes from America where you used to be told to stand straight to, to now you just bend over and bow the knee 
serve that's what it's about service the new system and everyone wondered how how are we going to replace the old economy well they're not going to replace the old economy this is a service economy that followed the European Union the countries there were being de-industrialized since World War II quietly speeding up through the 60s and 70s and 80s in preparation for all of this as well this coincides of course with another big NGO group and it's uh, to do with volunteerism where you volunteer for your city what is city year? City Year unites young people of all backgrounds for a year of full-time service, giving them skills and opportunities to change the world. I'll put these links up on my site, and you can look into them and see who's funding them, the big foundations again. They talk about the core experience, like the core, like a military core. That's a core experience. And it says, are you ready to change the world? So, once again, all you need is one generation brought up with this as they iron out the, uh, the creases here and there and, and smooth it out, and all will be quite normal after that. All be quite normal. And this ties in with even City Year South Africa. It's all over the world right now. People don't realize that this is a worldwide event going on. And it's under, of course, the auspices of the United Nations. This is City Year South Africa, non-profit organization registered with the National Youth Service Unit. National Youth Service Unit. You should call it National Service in Britain when they called you up for the military. A unit set up by the South African government to promote youth service in the country. It's all across the world this is happening. And people don't know it. Even those involved in it in their own little local area. They don't know. It's a worldwide event. Pushed from the top. Now, in this wonderful world of service, remember, they'll promote it as though we're all in it together. We're fighting terrorism, we're fighting inflation, we're fighting, fighting uh, financial depression, we're fighting all these things together. That's wonderful, you see, for those who control warfare and strategies, because this is a strategy of warfare. That's what it is. And getting us all to serve, but there will be a class system in this system we all serve, believe you me. And there will be extra credits for those at the top and all the ones all the way down. And there'll be a lot of hoopla as they, they tell you, give you big speeches about the ones at the bottom, the masses, and how they're all pulling together. Did you ever watch how the Soviet Union was put together? Did you ever read George Orwell's Animal Farm? Animal Farm had the pigs. The pigs were the ones who had taken over as the leaders, the wily pigs of the animals that rebelled against the people, the humans. And at the end, the animals, they're all starving and all the rest of it, after having slaves to, to bring in this wonderful world of this utopia. They're looking through the window of the farmhouse, and there's the pigs in there, whining and dining uh, with the best of food and booze with the humans and the humans congratulate the pigs and says my god we've been trying to get them to work for nothing forever and you've managed it see that really was what Sovietism was all about they're calling it communitarianism here now communitarianism and that was first expressed nationally and internationally to the public by Mr. Bush senior when he was president 
That's what the Club of Rome said they favoured. The system they favoured the most was was based on collectivism, which is commutarianism. And I used to joke in the past, it says at one time with this new new community events, if you don't turn up at certain community events in the park or whoever's, whoever's on, if it's, it's clown day or whatever day it happens to be, uh, they'll, they'll, say, they'll ask you if you're anti-social. Maybe you should come and have a check-up. They have pills and regimes to fix that for you, to make you more social. This is all coming down. It's all coming down. And I used to watch this farce as the U.S. Uh, used to put up little feints towards the United Nations and pretend not to go along with certain things as, as they always were the main funders of the United Nations. The United Nations is in New York. It's not somewhere else. It's in New York. And I'm going to go into this, this con game after these messages to show you how far it's going. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning that the US, this presidents always gave this sort of um, poo-poo to the UN. In reality, they were always funding it to the hilt and pretending they were protecting their own people back home. And I always waited for the day where a president would be put in who would rapidly, I mean rapidly, uh, sign all the UN treaties that had been shelved by the other presidents before them. And it's happening right now. It's been happening since Obama got in. In fact, that's why they put him in now. It's time to go ahead and come out into the open and bring America into the uh, globalist domination society which they're, they've been working on for so long. This is an article from the Irish Times and it's from June the 13th, 2009. Major shift in U.S. climate policy sparks hope for global treaty by Frank MacDonald, environment editor in Bonn. The U.S. is no longer insisting that China and other large developing countries must make cuts in their greenhouse gas emissions under proposals tabled by the Obama administration for a new global treaty to combat climate change. It's not good enough to have the old ones that they haven't signed. See, they just jump right over it and do a new one. Even more extreme. In a major shift in U.S. policy reflecting the views of President Obama, Dr. Jonathan Pershing, who was in Beijing this week for talks with Chinese officials, made it clear that this would not require countries such as China to make cuts, merely to carry out actions. So in other words, you see, under the most favored trading nation status, especially when they come out of a so-called third world status, they don't have to make the same uh, restrictions on carbon and all this kind of nonsense as we're supposed to do. You see? So, so the U.S. has made quite clear that China doesn't have to just take out some actions, don't make cuts. What does that mean? What on earth does that mean? Dr. Pershing, who was head of the U.S. delegation at the U.N. climate talks in Bonn, said yesterday that the large emerging economies would be required to take actions aimed at curtailing the growth in their emissions rather than having to make actual cuts. That's, that's beautiful political doublespeak. 
The U.S. proposals which call for the adoption of a new legal instrument under the U.N. framework, Convention on Climate Change, to supplement or even supplant any agreement to extend the Kyoto Protocol are being studied closely by the EU. So the U.S. has put forward a proposal that's going to be more extreme than all the Kyoto agreements that the U.S. hadn't signed in the past. The U.S. is of the view that we need to, a new agreement to frame what comes next, Dr. Pershing said. This would call for all countries to, to take action, but the U.S. and other developed countries would take additional action, additional action, in line with their historical responsibility and capacity. So it's going to be even worse in the U.S. with carbon credits and personal carbon taxes and all the rest of it. But it ties in with this new century of change, doesn't it? as well get taught to be servants. Maybe we can get servants in the White House. Maybe we can all be servants for the White House and take turns putting coal on their fire to keep them nice and warm in the winter. Under the U.S. proposals, a legally binding implementing agreement, legally binding, in effect, a new treaty, all developed countries would have to make significant and substantial reductions in their emissions while large developing countries undertook commitments to change course. Dr. Pershing said the U.S. expectation was that large emerging economies, including India and Brazil, would take actions that would be quantified, measured, and reported. This was not the same thing as saying that the outcome is binding for these countries. Dr. Pershing said he anticipated that this would be enough to satisfy skeptical U.S. senators who have insisted that China in particular should make a comparable effort to reduce its carbon footprint. He says, our intention is to get an agreement we can bring home and have ratified, and we're pretty optimistic about that. He said, U.S. engagement has changed the dynamic of the conversation here. That's the kind of shift the world community has been waiting for. In other words, the U.S. has taken the lead in cutting back on fuel and emissions and all the rest of it, and carbon. And it's been pretty tough back home. But don't forget, under this whole darn thing, they've got every life that comes into being in this planet down as a consumer. And also someone who creates carbon dioxide. They consume things which are made, and everything gives off carbon dioxide. And the process, they claim. Which it gives off carbon, they claim in the process for everything you buy. So every person less that doesn't come into this world, they're actually saving carbon credits. Think about that too. Think about that too. Remember, the whole idea of government is to keep us in the dark. That's traditional. I think it was Francis Bacon uh, who wrote a whole bunch of stuff to the to King James on how to very Machiavellian on, on little tips. He was hoping to get employed. Uh, like a Machiavellian character to the king, an advisor but he said that it is best that the public never know the real intentions of government policy that's what he said, and well that's never changed that's never ever changed there's a, a new book out, it's called Global Warming and Other Bollocks Bollocks is similar to Bullocks, you might say if you're in the farming areas by Ian Dempsey and this is the 23rd of June 2009 it's a, it's a breakfast blog it says Professor Stanley Feldman spoke to Ian about his new book 
global warming and other bollocks of truth about all those science scare stories. And I'll read some of them after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I'm going to read some pieces from a, a new book basically put out by a couple of professors to do with global warming and other nonsense. And this is the book co-written by Professor Stanley Feldman and Professor Vincent Marks is in the shops from 8th of July. The professors look at the evidence and present their arguments against common theories. And here's some of the theories. The sun is behind global warming. The earth warmed up more during medieval times than during the 20th century. And it cooled down considerably during the little ice age of the 16th and 17th centuries without any man-made event that would have affected CO2 output. Temperatures also dipped between 1940 and 1975, a period of intense industrial activity. In other words, they're pointing out it should have gone way up then. But it didn't. It dropped. Maldives aren't skin, uh, sinking. So confident are property owners the Maldives that the sea is receding that they are building a flurry of lavish seafront hotels. We all see this hype from the UN that, oh my God, these islands are just sinking and sinking and there's three foot every year and so on. Utter nonsense. CO2 levels are not at unprecedented highs. In the Earth's past, carbon dioxide levels have often been as much as ten times higher than they are today. For example, during the Cretaceous era, when dinosaurs ruled the Earth, CO2 levels were five to ten times what they are today. Here's another one. Polar bears are not dying out. So they're always saying, oh, they're, my God, they're dying out, and they show these little clips on TV. They don't tell you they can swim for hundreds of miles. They don't tell you that, do they? It says, despite the limited melting seen in the Arctic ice cap over the past 50 years, polar bear numbers have more than doubled since 1950. And that's despite the fact that 50 to 100 bears are now shot every year. Now have I shoot to so many of them. And to do with the Antarctic, it says, nor are the penguins, although some Antarctic penguin colonies, especially those near human bases, have decreased in size, overall penguin numbers are steadily increasing. Then they're going to put the Gulf Stream. They're all saying, oh my God, the Gulf Stream's all changing. It's all changing. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting cooler, you know. The Gulf Stream is not under threat. The Gulf Stream is as strong as ever and is getting warmer, not colder, nor is it changing direction. We heard all this stuff is going to change direction. Global warming might even be good for us. A, climate wa- a warmer climate and an increase in CO2 will be a boon for farming and agriculture in general. One can even envisage returning to the warmer landscape of Roman times, and we forget this part, don't we, when vineyards, vineyards were common in England. Yeah, they were. There's no need to cut back on salt. Salt is an essential food. Without it, we would die. Land-based mammals such as humans control their body temperature by sweating and panting. 
sweating is impossible without sufficient salt. In fact, strenuous exercise in a person depleted of salt causes overheating and death. Here's, here's a, a beauty, this, this heart, the, the con they went through with heart disease, starting with, oh, eat margarine and, and use oils for cooking. And we watched all the diseases break out afterwards from this goo, this, this synthetic goo they sell us now and have brought their children with. And I've talked to uh, a top heart surgeon in a Mayo Clinic, heart uh, transplant surgeon, and he said he and all his friends know that cholesterol is all a lot of uh, bunkum, he said. Absolute bunkum. We don't know what causes heart disease. The medical and uh, uh, social consensus is that cardiovascular disease is caused by being overweight, by having a high-fat, high-cholesterol diet, and by unhealthy activities such as smoking. The lowest levels, now here's the thing, the lowest levels of cholesterol and arterial sclerosis where do you think they'd find it? The, the lowest levels are to be found in populations such as the Inuit, that's up here in Canada, and Siberian hunter-gatherers who live a diet which is incredibly high in saturated fat. They got the lowest levels of cholesterol and arterial sclerosis. And it goes on and on and on. So I'll put these links up, as I say, on my site at the end of the show. But it's a must-be, isn't it, to go completely vegetarian and use all the vegetarian uh, technologies and so on and, and resources. That's the mandate. Vegetarian Society, Telfer said that, and Newt Gingrich backed him up with his book when he gave it to every member of Congress on the steps. The third wave is called. Here's an article here to do with Britain and their GM crops from the Mail Online, June the 17th. Ministers are accused, as politicians are accused, of trying to bring GM crops to Britain by the back door. Ministers were yesterday accused of trying to bring the crops to the UK by the back door. The government has decided to support the cultivation of two new types of genetically modified maize or sweet corn, which contains a toxin that kills certain pests. I wonder if it means humans. It will vote in favour of approving the crops in the EU, making Britain the chief supporter of the controversial technology in Europe. Once a crop is approved at the EU level, a British farmer will be permitted to grow it here. The Labour government has routinely supported the US government in its efforts to bring GM crops to Europe and the rest of the world. But it was interesting too when Tony, Tony Blair was really pushing it. He made an exception so the politicians wouldn't have to eat the stuff. They'd bring organic stuff into a massive cafeteria for Parliament. Remember I read that article too from Monsanto's, one of their biggest bases in the US, where, they, where the workers there wouldn't eat uh, the GM stuff either. They'd got caterers in who only brought in organic stuff. They wouldn't eat anything GM. And here's the guys who make it wouldn't eat their own stuff. Why? Getting back to this article. It says UK ministers have voted to approve some GM crops despite concerns in other member states about their safety for the environment, wildlife and human health. In the past, the UK also tried and failed to kill off attempts to label GM ingredients on food products. We can't even get that in, in Canada here. We can't get, they won't label them here. 
But we were the guinea pigs for ten years anyway. I guess the guess we won't last that long to complain. Yesterday the government pushed through its intention to support the growing of GM maize and crops in Britain and Europe without a House of Commons debate. In other words, that's like, a house, that's like the Congress, but no debate. <laughs> the two maize crops involved are BT11, developed by Syngenta, and 1507. Both contain a toxin that kills the corn borer pest, a severe problem in maize growing areas in southern Europe and the US, but not in the UK. Several European countries, including Germany and France, have recently banned other types of GM corn on the basis of suspected dangers to health and the environment. It's not so much suspected, they know they know what's going on there. Same as killing off the bees too. Chairman of All Party Environment, uh, Environment Group, Liberal Democrat MP Norman Baker, condemned how the government's position has been pushed through the Commons without debate. This is bringing in GM crops by the back door, he said. The public will be very concerned by the sleight of hand. It shows the cavalier way the government treats the environment. Well, well how about the people? How about the people? It's amazing how the environment's been... Don't you get it, you know? We, we go down with the environment. But I guess the environment is higher than the people because everything in the environment except people was elevated to a high level when they did the Earth Rio Summit the Rio summit debate. Everything was given rights and a status in the food chain that man was nowhere to be seen. We don't have rights. So that's that article there. Now also is a little article from from Britain to do with uh, what France is doing with mosquitoes. It says here French helicopters spray mosquitoes threatening to swamp Britain. This is from the Telegraph. The 19th of June 2009, they've got a plague of mosquitoes in France that they're getting closer and closer to Britain. So they're trying to kill them off. I like the French because they don't mess around. They don't care what other people say or do. They just do their own thing. French helicopters spray mosquitoes threatening to swamp Britain. Helicopters are being deployed to spray poison in the skies above northern France to wipe out swarms of mosquitoes that are threatening to cross the channel into Britain. French officials launched the commando operation after insect experts warned that as many as 6 billion mosquito larvae had started hatching in swampland near the French, uh, the France Belgium border, less than 100 miles from the south coast of England. But I tell you, I wish they'd come over here and spray this place because there's billions of them here. They've had nothing but rain up until this week. Weeks and weeks of rain. And they're just laughing outside my screen on the window. Unusually warm, damp weather has brought on the mass hatching, it says. Experts are particularly concerned about the potential arrival of the Asian tiger mosquito, a striped monster almost twice the size of the average mosquito and which can carry the chigungunya fever, which has already infected people in northern Italy. By the way, they have them in the U.S. and Canada now as well. They've had them for years now. They claim they were brought in by disused tires that were brought back from the Far East to be remolded back in the US that's what they claim but I don't quite believe them it can also carry other types of, di types of disease as well, it's a big guy 
corn coated with bacteria that is harmless to man but lethal to mosquitoes was sprinkled over the area this week. A local authority spokesman said the operation had been successful but had not eradicated the insects. He says we need to remain vigilant to avoid a new outbreak, he said. It's amazing too, as, as, as we watched over the many, many years as they tried to bring back swamplands, swamplands. Again, the, the nature lovers, really funded by the big foundations again, wanted to, to bring back these swamplands, wetlands they call them, they're actually swamps, for the ducks and the geese and all that. But there's no lack of duck and geese where I am, believe you me, because there's thousands of lakes. But the last thing you want are swamps everywhere, especially near human habitat, because that's what generations of people have been doing getting rid of these things, to get rid of the mosquitoes for the last 200 years or more in the Americas because they're lethal to man eventually. They're lethal to man when they build up to those numbers. But they know what they're doing at the top, don't they? They want wetlands. They want mosquitoes. It's part of the agenda. Read Malthus. He talked about that too. Put the poor, he said, in houses built in swampy areas marshy areas, unhealthy areas, to bring down the population. That's what really is going on. Uh, there's Rick from Virginia there. I'll take Rick from Virginia, if he's still on the line. Yeah, hi, Alan. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I, I may be a little off topic, but um, uh, I was wondering why no one ever talks about the draconian law that's been passed in the U.S., and I, I, I believe it's been passed in many countries around the, the world, having to do with uh, deadbeat dads. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically it's a huge, uh, it, it, uh, it's putting millions of guys into trouble with the law yeah. uh, to, to the point where you can be jailed uh, for owing back money on this uh, child support. Law. Mm -hmm. in, in the United States, it's called the Bradley Amendment, yeah. and nobody seems to talk about it. And nobody, I, I had hopes before I started listening to your show uh, that it would be eventually repealed by when people came to their senses. But uh, now I know better. <laughs> it's also again a, a UN mandate. They've had it. They've had it across Europe and European countries for uh, maybe 15 years now. 15 years. And uh, they have whole departments set up in government that do nothing but try and track these, these guys uh, wherever they are across the whole planet. And, uh, and they make sure, too, that they're doing this because you understand, too, the whole idea is that uh, how you discourage marriage, well, you make sure that, that um, it's not a very, a very good enterprise. It's not terribly appealing for most men to enter into these days especially when you see that the law literally is all one-sided and every occasion to do with divorces, it, that's like a standard now. And that's not by chance either, is to make sure that guys do get the message that uh, um, this is not a, a good uh, uh, contractual thing to do anymore. And most, so most people don't bother getting married at all. But you're right, they do hunt down uh, what they call deadbeat dads. And um, I do know some people uh, and I have known in some in the past that literally were living in tiny little rooms uh, forking out all their money and, and they had to go in front of a judge every month and in fact in one case the judge got his paycheck you know the court got his paycheck and they dished out what was left to him 
and it was never enough to pay his own rent. Uh, he was make, what, working double shifts trying to make up for it. His wife had left him with children. She was living with another guy. She had another income, but she sent the children to the most expensive ballet schools and then different things to, to, to bring in more money from the ex-husband. And he, he had a 20-year sentence slapped on him. Basically, 20 years is going to have to keep paying this off. And he told me, he says, I'll, I'll probably commit suicide uh, before that's over. Um, and I, I think he probably did, actually, the way he was going. Yeah. And that's pretty standard. Yeah. It's like there's, and there's also nowhere to hide. There's, there, you know, no matter, you can be completely destitute. Uh, uh, your credit is ruined. Your driver's license is revoked. Your passport is revoked. Uh, any professional licenses you might have carried are also revoked. As soon as you get behind, more than I think in the United States, more than $2,500. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so you're hemmed in and you're, 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 you're going downhill no matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah, because for, for every for, for every penny that you make, basically they want they want most of that penny, each and every penny, and so that you, there's no incentive to to try and get ahead because it's all been taken away from you again. And uh, uh, it's amazing too that they, they say you've got to keep her in a standard of luxury she was accustomed to. And after she's left the husband, by the time she's put down all the courses her children are supposed to be taking and all the rest of it, she's living at three times uh, the cost it was to keep her in the first place when she was married. Um, so you can't keep up with it. That's what the guys have all told me, yeah. And I guess this is to, uh, for the, uh, to further the depopulation goal. Oh, it's working because what young guy today doesn't know someone um, and probably a few of his friends that um, are divorced and going through this very thing. And it's the same with the lawyers too. That they're, they're so unscrupulous. They, they tell every every woman who comes in to, to regardless of what the, the, the case is, uh, just just say he was molesting the children or whatever. But and this is this is standard procedure. The guy can't win at all in any situation. He, so he's a goner. So they all know this. All young guys know this, and so they don't get married. What's the point? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, Alan, thank you uh, for being there. Uh, I can't afford to give you a donation. Well, that, that's okay. That's okay. But I'll be back after these messages. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the Matrix. And from the Times Colonist, this is from Canada. They're going a, f a step further for stopping motorists. Now, they already started stopping motorists quite a few years back with the, the mothers against drunk driving. It was interesting because the one who started this up for Ontario eventually was given an honorary seat uh, on the directorship of the Ontario Liquor Board. Quite a nice income, isn't it? Not bad at all for getting this started, giving cops the right to just stop whole lines of motorists and all, all kinds of highways to go through this farce as they stuck their head through the window in a very threatening gesture, which is threatening because that's what animals do. You don't go near an animal's face unless you want it bitten off. But this is all to get you cowed and trained to be submissive. 
but uh, they're going a step further and it says here this is uh, it says police should be allowed to do random breath tests for drunk driving according to the members of parliament Ottawa parliamentary committee has recommended that police officers be given the power to conduct random roadside breath tests on drivers a change that would remove the legal requirement for officers to have a reasonable suspicion that drivers are drunk in other words they're going to stop you for everything now and this is going to be a great pretense under current provisional and federal law police can stop a vehicle to check the condition of the driver including his or her sobriety that was because of mothers were against drunk driving police cannot request a breath sample unless they reasonably suspect that a driver is drunk well not anymore the commons justice committee recommended in a report released thursday that police be able to request a breath test at any time regardless of whether the driver smells of alcohol or shows signs of impairment Committee Chairman Ed Fass conceded that such an amendment would likely be challenged under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which protects individuals against unreasonable searches or seizure. He said, however, the committee concluded that random testing is the most effective deterrent available to police. Can you hear that? Nonsense. You know, if you were to turn on television to watch the news or or the weather or something like that, you, you get God knows how many ads for booze. It's the most widely advertised thing on television. Booze, 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 sports, booze, booze, sports. That's all you see. It's the most pushed drug on the planet. And the government enjoys these massive organizations, sports and booze, because they draw in an awful lot of taxes for them. And it's amazing to watch these ads, you see. It's always aimed at the young people, young people who don't have much wisdom, you see. And there's one on now, in fact, where the, uh, a bus drives up to these young guys and all these beautiful boob babes get off, you see. So I guess the, boo- the, the booze brings a bus full of booze, uh, boob babes to you. That's what it does to you. That, that box of booze there is going to do that for you. This is the, the nonsense they've sold youngsters for God knows how long. Why not cut back on their advertising for booze? Why not tell them the truth about booze and the problems it causes across the board? Never mind, it's one of the harshest drugs out there on your whole system. No, they won't do that because, you see, you can't have police if if, if there's... You can't keep hiring more and more police if there's less and less crime. You've got to create crime so you can hire the police, you see. That's what that's about. Same with the marijuana and all this stuff. It's been the greatest boom to hiring cops they've ever had in the last 40 years or so. They'll never ever get rid of that. They need crime. Well, that's it for tonight. So from Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.